When I talk about the word of the Lord, I am not an individual who comes up with an idea. It is very passionate to me for me to seek the mind of God because nations are dependent on this. I, I said this to you last night. They are relationships, they are churches, they are places that are dependent on what is God saying right now. What do we need to do right now? So you cannot create something from your head and then just speak. It takes a lot of work. My most difficult time in ministry, I don't use the word difficult as it relates to pain, but difficult as it relates to a lot of work. Comes from October to January because that's when I go into fast. And, uh, and I stay in it Finding the mind of God for the coming season. And sometimes it is strange to people, but because I love my assignment, you know, I love my job. If that's a good word, the word job is not really a good word. I love my assignment. I am passionate about it. I don't know how to convince people. I'm just so passionate about what God called me to do. Uh, if I was, if I knew this much younger, I think I would have just committed my life to this. But wherever God met me to begin the journey, I'm glad. You know, I've heard people say they're not, they're not in love with it. I just love my job. That does not mean it's easy. The moments you get discouraged, the moment you feel the pain, they're just moments of stuff that takes place. But in those moments, knowing that you work for God, and knowing that you are connected to him and that he will take care of you. And that the will of God is being fulfilled in the lives of everyone. That enough is very satisfactory to me. And I say this with absolute confidence. I say this with absolute love. You know, to be privileged to be a conduit, a pipe that is being used for God. I don't know how to explain it to anybody. You know, I'm not pastoring a church because it's what is supposed to be done. I'm not traveling to preach because it's what is supposed to be done. I do this because I love it. I could keep you here for 10 hours. Just keep talking to you about the things of the Spirit. <laughs> you know, that is, you know, that is our passion. And when I travel to minister, and sometimes they restrict me to this number of minutes and to this number of and I say, oh gosh, man. It's like... I want to just break out of the bus. But, but I understand protocol and all of the stuff that it's supposed to take. And um, when, when I experience that, especially when I'm in my local church and I have to preach in the morning and I have to download the stuff that the Spirit of God gives to me, it's always very exciting. So this morning, I'm going to be dealing with you on the word of the Lord. And uh, if you take note or you get this CD, your responsibility is to war with these words. To war with this word. Last night, when I went to bed, I, have an, I had an encounter with the devil. Just last night here. And uh, while I was sleeping, I think towards the early part of the morning, I had my grandson, CJ, uh, uh, Pastor Caleb's um, uh, son. I had, I had him in my hands. You know, I, I just carried him. And I was showing him the spirit realm. I was showing him the spirit realm. You know, CJ, I think he's probably four, going to five. So I had in my hand, and I was showing him the spirit realm. I said, that's a spirit. I said, see these three spirits there? They were all standing under the tree. And uh, 
he was so excited because it is in the spirit, but in the physical, you can't see it. And I was pointing it to him. And then all of a sudden, a fifth spirit appeared, which was the huge one, which was the big one, you know, which was the, mm, the mighty one. And uh, he appeared, and I knew he was the one in charge. And he was bragging, and then he was showing me his power. He was demonstrating his power. And he says, he says to me, he says, I'll move my hand, and the biggest trees will fall. That's what he did. He moved his hand, just like that. The biggest, huge tree around just fell. Nothing. He didn't touch them. And I was watching the experience, just showing it. And then he pointed to me. He says, now I'm coming after you. So he came, but he was coming in a sneaky ways so that I can't see he was hiding in the grass, just sneaking. And I stood waiting for him with CJ on my arms. And uh, as he was about to get close, I used two words. And these are really critical that you understand. The Bible tells us that the weapon of our warfare, they are not carnal. Okay? But they are mighty. That word is key. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The might of our weapon is because it is true God. It is true God. It is true God. So the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty true God. So some of our weapons that we use in warfare, we use weapons like the blood of Jesus is a weapon. The name of Jesus is a weapon. Uh, integrity is a weapon. Uh, your testimony is a weapon. And I could go on and on and on. These are some weapons that is made available to you to use. Your angels, the angels of God are your, also a weapon. You can activate them on your behalf. They can war for you to make sure that the will of the Father is accomplished. So during the encounter, I had to use two weapons. And as he was coming close, all I did was Jesus. Jesus. You know, sometimes we don't know how powerful that name is. It is not just the mention of that name. I hope you understand. It is faith in that name that produces result. It's not just the name. You can call the name in fear and yet nothing will happen. But it is faith in that name which implies that when I call that name over circumstances, I absolutely believe that the name will produce a result. Power comes just like that. Power is activated because faith in the name. Remember the man that got healed in scripture in the book of, uh, and uh, they, they were asking Peter, how did he get healed? And Peter explained, it is faith in his name that made him whole. Faith in that name. So faith in Jesus. Faith in the usage of the blood. And uh, I mean, this is really incredible. All I was saying, Jesus, that's all. Jesus, Jesus. And it's like when the name was called, like something invisible 
it's like a sci-fi movie where somebody is pushed against what? Boom! Just like that, like a sci-fi movie. You don't see who was throwing this person around, but you just know it's like, oh! And I literally call and call that name, call that name, call that, came out. I came out of the battle. I was still saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You see, that's the encounter you will have. The spirit realm is as real as the physical realm. And everything that you experience in the physical realm is really experiences in the spirit realm. And if you don't know how to deal with the experiences in the spirit realm, your life in the physical realm will be warped. The enemy will just easily overcome you and defeat you and you will blame God for what has happened. When in reality is all you need to change circumstances has been made available to you. Now I wish I don't have those encounters. I wish I could just go to bed and just sleep and enjoy my sleep. But the day you become born again and the day you cry for something new and you become passionate about the things of God, that's the day the enemy picks a greater fight with you. The enemy doesn't need to touch you if all you do is you are born again and you're not even interested in the things of God. Because the enemy understands it can easily overcome you. But the day you make a decision and want to do something different, and I want to serve the Lord, and I want to be faithful, and I want to do all that is expected of the Spirit of the Lord, and you begin to declare war on the enemy's camp, that's the day he picks a fight. He comes in and he will do everything possible, everything. The enemy knows he can't defeat you, that he knows, that he knows. He knows that you can be defeated because there is a greater one in you than him. But he also understands that you don't have a revelation of the greater one in you. And as long as you don't have a revelation of the greater one in you, yet you carry an atomic bomb in you and don't even know the strength of it, then the enemy can defeat you. But the day you come into full awareness of what God can do on your behalf, that's the day the enemy picks a greater fight. I could tell you stories. How the enemy tried to sabotage the uh, flight. Just sabotage with mechanical error. Because all he wanted to do is to destroy someone on the plane. I mean, but the Spirit of God is always on your behalf, making sure that God's ultimate purpose become a reality. So, I'm going to be dealing with the seven anointings this morning. The seven anointings of the season that you've come in. The seven anointings of this decade. Some of you will hear it by the Spirit. Some of you will hear it with excitement and you will forget. And what you need to do is, I need you to write this down, plug it somewhere, and war with these anointings. Speak this over the church. Speak it over your life. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. You need to keep declaring it because the enemy's desire is that that which God intends don't become a reality. So let's, let's track this morning. Let me lay some introduction. My wonderful brother there, if you could put Second Chronicles chapter 20. 
Second Chronicles chapter 20, we want to track from verse 1 to verse 19. Very critical. I pray that what I share this morning can actually go to everyone that aren't here. Because I believe the more of you that hears this message, the more of you will fight for the destiny of your vision, the destiny of your life, just the destiny of the church, of your business, whatever it is. You will war for the destiny of it. Destiny comes in phases. That's why the Bible used the word. It takes you from one glory level to another glory level. So the glory from one phase of destiny that you enjoy is different from the glory from another level of destiny that you will enjoy. Our lives goes in phases. It is in phases. Even though you don't realize it, your life goes in phases. Now, when you look at Second Chronicles, and this is where I'm going to be using as my foundation, Second Chronicles chapter 20 is a prophetic typology, a prophetic typology or a prophetic picture of how our lives is chronicled. It is a prophetic typology or a prophetic picture of how our lives is chronicled from, uh, 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 from seasons, uh, uh, journeys, and experiences until we ultimately get to the place of manifestation. It's key. I know most of us have read that chapter, but you read it as a story. But the, but the Spirit of the Lord is trying to show you something here in this chapter. Again, Second Chronicles 20 is a prophetic typology, a prophetic picture of uh, how our lives are chronicles from seasons, from experiences. You know, it reveals to us about the six phases that we go through, whether you know it or not, until you come to the phase of manifestation, where there is result, whatever manifestation is to you. There is healing, there is deliverance, whatever it is to you. So we want to track these phases, and then I'm going to begin to explain to you about the seven anointing. Now, if you've read this chapter, you will find the summary is really the story of the attack of the enemy against a nation that is led by a king. And ultimately, the result was God by his spirit grant them victory. But that sounds like a great story. But in this great story reside the prophetic phases of my life so that when I understand it, I can really understand the things that the enemy does in my life and how God by his spirit brings me to places of victory. Number one, when you study the lives of individuals in scripture that were successful, you will find that every one of them goes through these phases. Everyone, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Every one of them goes through these phases. Even you go through the phases, but you don't realize that you go through the phase. So because I don't realize that I go through the phase, the tendency is I tend not to appreciate. I complain, I get mad, I get upset with God. Oh, what is going on? Why isn't there a change? No healing, no this, blah, 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 blah. And yet, these are the phases that you must go through until you see manifestation. Are you listening to me? Okay. So number one, the first phase is the phase of attack. 
The first phase is the phase of attack. Now you have to understand, attack is what the enemy does to you. It is not what you do to the enemy. The phase of attack is what the enemy does to you, not what you do to the enemy. You have to understand there is never a throne that is achieved without a battle. There is never a breakthrough that takes place without a conflict. There is never a result that you enjoy without an attack. In other words, there is never anything that is manifested in your life without an attack. You have to understand that is how the enemy operates. The intention of the enemy to bring an attack is so as to derail you from the will of God and to cause you to become fearful in your pursuit. Attack is not what I do to the enemy. It is what the enemy does to me. And most times with most believers, when the enemy attacks you, you back off. You become afraid. You get into your cocoon and you refuse to fight. When you study the scripture, the Bible talks about these nations. Now it happened after this that the Moabites and the, the Ammonites together with some of the Munites, they came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Those are cute names for demonic spirit. Okay? The Ammonites, uh, the Moabites, uh, and Munites, th these are just cute names for evil spirit or demonic spirit attacking us. The contest in the Old Testament, we are nations, and these nations were negative, bad nations. But the contest in the New Testament, these were demonic spirits. These were evil spirits that actually comes against a nation and against a leader or a king or a husband. You could change the name of Jehoshaphat to be anyone in authority, okay? In authority. So here comes an attack, okay? It comes an attack. Who does the attack? The enemy. You're going to catch everything soon. Who does the attack? The enemy. So when an attack comes into your life or against you, don't freak out. I don't like an attack. I've never seen anyone who loves an attack. But when you understand it is part of the phase, it is the part of the phase. You cannot prevent an attack. It will come. It's not going to come from an invisible person. He's going to come from an invisible person that gets into a visible person and uses that visible person against you. I mean, ju just think for just a moment. How can, you, how can you be the president of the United States at this moment when everybody, everything you do, everyone attacks you and, oh, you go here, yeah, you attack. You go there, you attack. You do this, you attack. You do that, you attack. He takes the grace of God. To remain in a position like that when everybody is attacking you and yet you are still standing. Are you listening to me, people of God? It's important because the purpose of an attack is to get you out of church. Don't come to church. Don't pursue God. He doesn't work anymore. Nothing has changed. And blah, 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 blah. Depending on your state of maturity, Depending on where you are in your relationship with God. The second phase is the phase of fear. 
when an attack comes into your life, when you look at verse 2 to verse 3, verse 2 to verse 3, he's the face of fear. Now, the purpose of every fear is to create panic and intimidation. The enemy wants to use fear to create panic and intimidation. When the enemy attacks a church, he attacks a relationship, he attacks a business, he attacks a believer, the next thing is fear comes in. Now hear me because this is important. The purpose of every fear is to paralyze your faith. The purpose of every fear is to paralyze your faith. Now, when your faith is paralyzed, your pursuit becomes immobilized. When your faith in God, your faith in your pursuit, when your faith in the promises of God, when it is paralyzed, your pursuit itself becomes immobilized. You don't want to pursue anymore. You don't want to believe God for anything anymore because your faith is paralyzed. You know, Fear is really the opposite of faith itself. So you either have fear in you or you have faith in you. You can't have the two in you at the same time. You are either filled with faith in God in spite of your circumstances or you are filled with fear. And you know, most of the time, we get filled with fear more because the enemy says, mm, guess what happened? Fear comes. Just like that. You just, mm, Fear comes. Fear of this, fear of that, fear of that, and that, and that, and that. We could name several fear. Fear of your future, fear of failure, fear of sickness, fear of death, fear not to be able to do this and do that 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 and do that. And all it does is to first of all create panic and intimidate you. Now, when you study the scripture, then it was reported to Joshua that the great multitude has come against you from beyond the Dead Sea out of Aram, and behold, they are in Azazon Tama, that is in Engedi. Turn to the next verse, verse 3. Then Joshua was what? No, he jumped. He was saying, Praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. God is so much a good God. Oh, don't you see how awesome it is for these three nations to come against us? Praise the Lord. No. He freaked out. He was afraid because that's the phase. That's the phase of life. Every result that you have experienced today in your life that you call a God result in your life, you went through these phases without even realizing that you were going through it. An attack came. It promoted fear. Oh my God, what do we do? Honey, honey, sit down. How do we resolve this? The spirit of fear. I want you to understand this because when you understand this, the moment you begin a journey and you sense these phases, you know already that you are going to be victorious. I do not teach you this from books. I do not teach you this from an idea. I teach you this as a prophetic principle and plug it into your spirit. The enemy is afraid of you. The enemy doesn't like me telling you this. 
He doesn't like me sharing this with him. Because the more light that floods you, the more strength comes into you. And the more strength comes into you, the more victories you start receiving. And then you stand against the enemy. The third phase is the phase of resolve. The phase of resolve. Look at verse 3 to verse 7. Verse 3 to verse 7, the phase of resolve. Resolve means to be settled. That's what it means. It means to be settled. It means to be firmly decisive. You are settled. You are firmly decisive. And to push for a solution. When a man becomes resolved concerning a situation, it means they are settled. Remember, the attack comes. And then fear comes in. And then all of a sudden, you get your bearing right. And you remember who God is. And then all of a sudden, there is a resolve. Okay, <laughs> we're not going to fall apart right now. We're not going to quit right now. We're not going to allow the enemy to see us sweat. We come to a place of resolve. Okay, baby, relax. We are settled. Even though things doesn't look well, now let's fight. See, you go through this. And if you don't understand this, you will never come to a place of manifestation. Whether you pray much, you fast much, you sing much, you dance much, you bind all the devil on earth, you're going to come under an attack. You will still have an attack. Because there is never a throne that you will arrive in. Never a breakthrough that you will experience. You think the enemy will just sit down and start singing kumbaya. Come on, come, just come, come. Come, get what you want. Yeah, free. No. The enemy knows you can be defeated, but he's counting on the fact that you are so ignorant of your right and privilege in God that every time he attacks you, you're going to buckle and give in and then turn over your own spoil to him. Which a lot of us do. Are you listening to me? I know that the enemy doesn't like me. So I stay on a daily preparation. When you know at any given moment you are going to be attacked. Or somebody tells you there is an assassin that is after you. You're always watchful. Isn't that true? You're always mindful. And that's the lifestyle of the believer. You got an adversary who goes to and fro. He's not in love with you. He doesn't care about you. All he wants to do is to destroy you. You can't cross your leg and relax. You have to be conscious of it. Resolve is very key. So verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set himself. And set himself. And set himself determining as his vital need to do what? To do what? Uh -uh, not to call uncles and uh, friends and all of that. No, to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord. That's the place of resolve. And he, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Go to the next verse, please. So the people of Judah, they gathered together to do what? Oh, I love that word there, to seek help, not from no man, but to seek help from who? From God. That's a believer that has come to a place of resolve. You are settled and you are ready, okay, to seek help from the Lord. 
Uh, indeed, they came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord, longing for him with what? With all their heart. Oh, glory to God. I feel, a, I feel an atmosphere this morning. It's like a bubble. It's like a bubble. <laughs> they came with a longing in their heart. That's the dream of God for every one of us. That every time you appear, there's a longing in your heart. You are not compelled to be here. You don't come out of obligation. You came out of, oh God, what an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. Oh, I'm so glad. Hallelujah. That's a heart that longs. I wish I could teach you that heart. No man can give it to you. You have to go in to get it. The expression of a longing heart is an expression of a life that have an intimacy with God. Gangs, you got to hear me. There's no best lover that you ever have than God himself. I'm telling you, your love affair with God is unbelievable. If you ever speak to revivalists, you speak to men or women who have an encounter with God. One moment in his presence is like, whew, what a good time with you, God. You can't, even explaining it to someone is like, it's strange to even explain it unless you've been there. Unless you've been there. You go to verse 5. Verse 5 says, uh, verse 5 of Second Chronicles. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And verse 6, the next verse, the new courtyard, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand. There is no one able to take a stand against you. Now remember now, Jehoshaphat the king is real smart here. He understood the principle of warfare. This is how it begins. He goes back, Jehoshaphat goes back. He goes back. He goes back all the way to Solomon Temple. The eighth apostolic declaration in Solomon Temple, when Solomon built the temple, and then when it was time to dedicate the temple, he stood and he began to declare eight apostolic statement. And when he finished, all of a sudden, the Bible says in second, I think second Kings uh, chapter eight, all of a sudden, the Bible says, uh, and the glory of God came into the temple. And one of the declarations that Solomon made was, if my people are in war, if they are in battle, if they come to this house, if they ask for help, hear their cry and intercede. So here you find a king after the temple was dedicated, now he's encountering a problem against the enemy. He goes back to use the very word of the Lord that was spoken in that temple, brings it into the present, uses it to declare against the enemy. Go to verse, what's the next verse? Verse 7. Now notice what he says in verse 7. 
Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Now, the fourth phase. The fourth phase is significant. It is the phase of warfare. It is the phase of warfare. Now, hear me. I said this to you at the beginning. Attack is what the enemy does to you. Warfare is what you do to the enemy. Warfare is what the believer does to the enemy. Attack is what the enemy does to you. The enemy attacks you. When the enemy attacks you, guess what you do? You get into a warfare against the enemy. Listen, a lot of believers don't understand warfare. We have tons of books out. And by the way, today, I'm giving 20% on all of the materials. I want you to go after, get these materials. You got to know how to function in warfare. Are you listening to me? Now, it is key that you understand that every effective warfare begins with one key thing. It begins by you knowing God's position concerning your fight. You got to know God's position concerning your fight. You don't just go into warfare blindly without knowing what is God's position concerning this issue. What is God's position concerning my health, concerning my family, my finance, concerning my relationship, concerning this. It is the foundation of effective warfare. If you really don't know what God's word says concerning your health, concerning your relationship, your finances, whatever, you cannot fight. You got to know. It's like you are arrested. You got to understand if the arrest is legal or illegal. If you didn't read me my right, it doesn't matter. It is thrown away. You got to know the law. The same thing in the spirit realm. What is God's position concerning this fight? You know, when you know God's position, you go into every warfare with confidence. Because you know ahead, even before the warfare is over, that you are going to be victorious because the promise was made to you way, 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 way ahead. The enemy comes against your health. What's God's position concerning it? Where is tribe, you were healed. So there is a position. So you take authority over that condition in the name of Jesus Christ. You break his power. You lose his hold. You command the power of life to come into your body. And you do it with a confidence because you know God will fulfill it. Because that's God's position on it. You get down and depressed. The Bible says he will keep them in perfect peace. Whose mind he stayed on him. So you know God's position. So when you attack depression and discouragement and worriness and anxiety or whatever the enemy brings, you can confidently deal with it. Warfare is what you do to the enemy. Not what the enemy does to you. But you have to understand the principle, the basic foundation of an effective warfare so that every time you go into a warfare, guess what? You win. If not so, the enemy just defeats you. What's the problem with you? Well, the enemy is after me. Well, what happened? Well, the enemy is just after my family. Well, he's just after my children. Well, but shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm not insulting you. I'm just saying, shut up. Don't let that voice come to you. Don't let that voice. No God's position concerning it. No God's position concerning it. 
I don't go into warfare until, first of all, I find God's position concerning it. Ah, no, the enemy doesn't have a right to do this. He doesn't have a right to do this. He can't do this when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. How he, no, I got to say, because this is God's position. Wake up, church. A new day has arrived. A new decade. There is nothing that will come to you sheep. Nothing will come to you free. As much as everything is made available to you, nothing will come to you free. You got to walk in into the enemy's camp and take what belongs to you. And the enemy is not going to cross his leg and his arm and just relax and say, come in, baby, come in. Baby, come in. Just take whatever you want. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to fight you. He's going to attack you so that you end up relinquishing what originally belongs to you. The fifth phase. The fifth phase is the phase of responsibility. Now remember each of the phases that we've dealt with. You come through an attack from the enemy. Number two, fear comes to you. You become intimidated. Number three, you get to the place where you become resolved. And you just make a decision. I'm not quitting. Number four, you now pick the fight against the enemy. You war. You war. You resist that enemy. You let the enemy understand, no, I'm not going to let you do this. Because you're not going to let the enemy take what belongs to you. And then the fifth one, you come to that place of responsibility. Now, understand now, this is the phase of being accountable to instructions and directions, especially from God. This phase is the phase of being accountable to instructions and directions, especially from God. Look at, look at verse 14 to verse 15. I said this to you last night. You can never come into a destiny without an instruction. There is never anything, nothing you will receive from God without an instruction. He wants to heal you. He said, jump seven times. Well, God, I don't want to jump seven times because I feel embarrassed. I, I'll be ashamed. People will look at me. Well, sit down. Don't, don't get healed. He gives you an instruction. Run around this room seven times. I'll sing hallelujah. I said, no, 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 God. Uh, no, no, no. No, not me. You don't you understand my personality. I'm not that kind. Okay. You don't want? Sit down. Get sick. God always gives you an instruction. He may just instruct you, go give this brother a hug. Give the sister a hug. But, but, but I don't know, God, why do I have to do that? Stop. Stop thinking about it. Just respond to him. The destiny of God that comes to you comes as a result of instruction. I said last time to you that the instructions that you are willing to obey is all a principle in Scripture will determine the destiny God brings into your life. Jesus touched the man eyes who was blind and then instructed him, you go wash it. You go to the pool to wash. Well, I don't feel like washing it. Don't you have some cute pools around here that I could, well, stay blind. Stay blind. That's the way we do. You know, it's almost like you think God will do everything for you. That's not the Bible you read. This Bible is designed for God to walk his path and for you to walk your part. That's why faith without is what? Dead. The walk part, the action part is not from God. It's from you. Every time he heals, he says, get up. As they attempt to get up, they get healed. 
He said, take your bed. As they attempt to take the bed, they got healed. The Bible says, it is as they went, they got healed. Not as they sat in the chair. As they went, as they were going, he spoke the word. At the beginning, nothing happened. As they were moving, the power of God came upon them, and they were healed. Hallelujah. God is a good God. I say, he's a good God. I'm glad he wants me to always participate in every journey so that I can understand what he has done in my life. Can you just imagine if all he does, you just sit down, boom, and boom, nothing. Doesn't make sense because he gave you choice. He gave you choice. You know, in John chapter 5, the story of the man uh, that was uh, paralyzed, laying by the side, and Jesus came, he says, hey, do you want to be healed? How badly you want to be healed? Now, if you hear that question from Jesus, you think, yeah, 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 I really want. But instead of him responding that way, he started telling stories. You know, my mama never gave me a puppy when I was in the fifth grade. And my dad wasn't there. My uncle left me. I lost three jobs. You know, never got one. Couldn't pay my mortgage. I didn't ask you that question. I just ask you a simple question. Will you like to be healed? And that's exactly how we operate. He comes with a clear question because he wants to do something on your behalf. Instead of you agreeing with him, you allow your mind to go on a journey of what took place in your past and what hasn't happened. Hey, I ask you about all of that. I just ask you a simple question. Will you want to be healed? Excuses are killers. Because an excuse is often the crush of the uncommitted. When you have an individual who is never committed to doing anything and doesn't want to do anything, don't want to participate in anything, the first thing they do is to release an excuse. Well, you know, I couldn't really come because, of, well, you know, I really, yeah, 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 but, 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 but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand. <laughs> this, 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 that. I could guarantee you, if Jesus has a pool right here, right in this church, and says, I'm going to heal everyone that will, that will be here, there are going to be people that will be. You know, I was telling my son, sometimes blessing can become the weaknesses of a nation. When you live in a nation like this, the greatest nation on earth, on earth and you have all the privilege that you have, Sometimes you fail to understand that your privilege and the blessings can be a distraction from you serving God. As much as you are blessed, your comfort can become your endurance if you don't know how to manage it. You know, when I lived in Africa, before I ever got here, there wasn't any TV to distract me. I didn't have to believe, oh, I got to have this car. Oh, I got to have this one. No, whatever I had was enough for me and I was content with it and my focus was on God. Now I came to America, it's at this, that, this, that, this. I had to manage my focus that the very blessings of God 
doesn't become a distraction. And you that are born in this nation have become addicted to everything of the nation that you can't tell the difference when you get distracted. The enemy never distracts you with anything negative. Nothing negative can distract you because you know it's negative. But the enemy uses positive stuff to distract you because it takes a level of discernment for you to be able to tell when the positive stuff is distracting you. Do you know if the devil walks in here with three horns, you know, with black, all of that, you know he's the devil. Why would, why would the devil do that? Because the devil knows you recognize him. So what does he do? He uses your, he uses your husband, your wife, your children, your job, your this, your that. Something that is close to you. And that's why Jesus Christ was able to look at Peter that was close to him. Satan, shut up. This was Peter. This was a man close to him. But Jesus understood that the words that came out of his mouth at that moment wasn't the word of God. It was a word that was orchestrated by the enemy. And Jesus was able to design the difference between the one he loved and the enemy that was using it. Do you have that level of discernment? Don't get quiet on me. You got to protect your spirit. You got to protect what you got. You got to create a value on it. Because if you don't, the enemy will just play the tricks. Just like that. And when you discern the enemy at work, you take authority. Devil, I could see your hand in this. This is your handprint. You can't hide it. I rebuke you. You got to take your hand off of this. Can you be able to do that? Can you be able to see the hand of the enemy in something that is great and be able, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember one of my staff, he's one of the pastors in the church. His son was pretty much young. And every time while in the office, they would call him in, from school that your son is sick. You got to come and pick him up. And this just goes on and on and on and on. Remember, he loves his son. And one day they called him. He told the teacher, I'm not coming to pick him up. I ain't coming. Keep him there. Because all of a sudden he understood that the enemy is using this to distract him. Stood in the office, took authority over it, break his power from that moment till when the child graduated. They never called him again. Never again. See, you have to be able to, no, no, wait, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. Every time I'm at work, this will happen. Every time I'm trying to do the will of God, this will take place. Your love for something can prevent you from being able to discern the hand of the enemy in that thing. And if you don't know how to separate the two and be able to tell, the enemy will come in every single time and attack you. From that moment, it stopped. Because the enemy only operates in darkness. Where there is ignorance. Where there is no light. When light comes, when revelation or insight concerning a thing happens, he has to flee. 
if you don't believe me, when you turn the light off, that's when roaches, roaches operate in darkness. Rats operate in darkness. Turn it on. They start running. They just start running. Rats run. They, they go into hiding. Roaches, everyone. Because light in itself has power. You talk with audacity, with confidence, when you have light in areas of your life. When there is no light, are you not sure? The sixth, the sixth phase is the phase of obedience. The phase of obedience and the phase of strategy. Obedience is siding with God. That's what it really means. <laughs> Obedience is the, willing, is the willingness to comply, to comply, to comply with the orders and the instructions of God. That's what obedience is. It is to comply with God. God says, jump, yeah, I jump. Dance, I dance. Do this, I do this. Just obey God. The secret of success and victory from Genesis to Revelation, when he summarizes it, is a lifestyle that is obedient to God. That's really it. It's a lifestyle that is obedient to God. All we're struggling to do on earth as Christians is actually training ourselves and coming, bringing ourselves into moments where we become compliable to God. Isn't that what we're doing here? Okay, God, what are you saying? How do we comply with it? It's obedient. Now watch now. Let's read from verse 16 to verse 19. Go down against them. This is God that spoke a prophetic word to a young boy, a young man called Jehel. If you read the context of the Bible, they fasted. And all of a sudden, a prophetic word came. Came to this young man, Jehel. And Jehel began to declare the mind of God to Jehoshaphat and the entire congregation. So verse 16 says, You go down against them tomorrow. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the river valley. In front of you, in, in, in front of the wilderness of Jeru. Go to the next, please. You need not fight in this battle. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to teach you this as we go into the seven anointings. This is very important. You need not fight in this battle. There is never a battle that comes into your life that God expects you to fight. There is never, none, none. He's not expecting you to fight. But simply because you are not fighting does not mean you don't have a role to play. You have a role to play. But the fighting itself is never done by you. If you ask most people who defeated Goliath, they will tell you it's David. David did not defeat Goliath. David just showed up for the battle. All David needed to do was to show up. 
God was looking for someone to show up in the battle and stand face to face with Goliath. Saul was afraid. All of the military guys and geniuses of Israel were all freaking out. So this young boy who was probably 14 years old was willing to just stand in front of this Goliath, this, this huge, experienced military person. And yet, David was saying, you think you're fighting me? You think I'm the one here? You're making a mistake. Your mistake is you just defied the God of Israel. And the God that you have defied is the very God that is going to defeat you. I'm just a conduit talking. But the one that fights the battle is the Lord. You got to catch that revelation. There is never a battle that is designed for you to fight in. Whether financial, whether your health, whether relationship, it doesn't matter. He fights your battle. But that does not mean you don't have a role to play. You have a role, just like David you got to show up. Now watch now. You need not fight in this battle. But this is what you got to do. You're going to have to take your position. Stand and witness the salvation of the Lord. Who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. So what was their responsibility? If you read the contest, God told them, he said, now get the keyboard, get a drummer, get Sarah, put some group with Sarah, start singing. That's all you got to do. I cannot live without you. Cannot live with. It doesn't make sense. He does just, it doesn't make sense. How is it that we can just, I cannot live without you. Cannot live without. And all of a sudden, you singing that. An invisible power that you can't see, you can't feel it. Begin to walk in the spirit. <laughs> Whoa, hallelujah. You can't see it. You don't even feel it. Are you singing? You know, you singing, you bobbing, you just dancing. Hallelujah. Bam, 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 bam. In the spirit realm, you turn around. What's happening? And he says, Go collect the spoils. Go collect the spoils. And you in there saying, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. He did it with the Red Sea. They were all panicking. He said, whoa. Now, come on, come on, Moses. Don't freak out. Okay? Are you going to have to do? Get this man together. Just touch that thing. He's going to open. Moses was not responsible for parting the Red Sea. It was that invisible one. That's why you don't have to fight in your battle. So what do you do in warfare? When you have an encounter, you ask the Holy Spirit, show me my role. Reveal my role. Reveal my responsibility. What is my role in this moment? You know, my wife and I, we just believe in for something huge. Because th th there is a project we want to embark on. And uh, the tendency is to always look for, well, you got to have money here. It's got to have money here and all of that. We didn't have any peace, anything. So the Lord spoke to me. The Lord says now, uh, there is a need in Africa. There is this need 
that uh, a family member have. The Lord said, this is what I need you to do. Remember, you've got to find your role. You know, sometimes we are in a jam and we always think, okay, God, 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 say, uh, 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 forget about that. Ask me what is your role in this. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, now gather some money. When you fly to Africa, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sow this into the family, get them a house, do this for them, situate them, whatever. And as you do it for them, guess what? You will activate me on my behalf and I will fight this battle for you. You don't have to fight the battle, but you have a role to play. It is critical that you understand these statements that I just make. So you can pray, 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 speak in tongues, tongue, 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 to all you want to. Sing kumbaya, walk around, do all of that. If those are not the appropriate role that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you concerning that situation, no solution comes in. You have to understand the spiritual dynamics of the working of stuff. I'm not motivating you. I'm just telling you how the kingdom works. If you're going to gain result. Are you listening to me? You obey him. So that's what I did. I flew in. In there. And uh, in my business doing my meeting. I made contact with them. And they came. They were looking at me. And I said well. We want to do this for you. And we're going to do this for you. That's my role. That's our, and oh, it was so pleasurable. I can't even explain it to you. It is truly true when the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because your inside jump, everything explodes in you. You get so happy. It just seems like you yourself just won a million dollars. When in reality, you are the one making the power of exchange. I was excited because I knew immediately as that goes into motion, heaven kicks in. As they began to play the music, as they began to sing, they, they, they weren't uh, uh, were singing, uh, uh, are we sure? <laughs> Will this work? <laughs> Is this for real? No! They were there singing and just dancing and, and Sarah was on the keyboard and, uh, and I'm in the piano. Everything was just clicking because that was the instruction they were giving. Now, your ability to hear in an instruction has to do also with your willingness to develop an ability to hear the voice of God. Because if you don't know how to hear the voice of God, you really cannot be able to tell when an instruction comes into your life. Okay? Now, I said all of these as an introduction. Because the seventh phase is where you are now. The seventh phase is where we are. It is this decade, it is where now you have. And that is why you have to be so excited and rejoicing and cooperate with the Holy Spirit because these are the moments of breakthrough. You go to verse 20. Verse 20. Listen to what verse 20 says. So they got up early in the morning. This is Second Chronicles 20, 20. So they got up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat, the pastor, the husband, the leader, the president, call him whatever. He stood and said, hear me, O Judah. Oh, hear me, O family. Hear me, whatever you want to put there. 
He said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now notice the two key words. Believe, if you have the King James, he says, believe in the Lord your God, and thou shalt be established. That's what the King James says. You believe in the Lord your God, and thou shalt be established. Now look at me, because the word believe is very critical. To believe simply means this, to accept truth, to be true, even when there is no demonstrable evidence. You accept truth, to be true, even when there is no demonstrable evidence. There is no evidence that the truth you just accepted, to be true, is true. You accept the truth of healing. You accept the truth of deliverance. You accept the truth of a breakthrough. Whatever it is, you accepted it because it came from God. You accept truth to be true even when there is no demonstrable evidence. Oh, yes, I'm healed. Well, there's no evidence that you heal. But I'm healed. <laughs> oh, I'm healed. Thank you, Lord. Because it's the truth. There's the difference between truth and facts. The truth, I mean, oh, he will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Your mind just go, yo, yo, you down, you depressed, you discouraged, you confused, and you scream, oh, my mind is intact. My mind, I have the mind of Christ. I think like him. It didn't seem like you're thinking like him right now. But you're declaring it because that's true. Even though there isn't any demonstrable evidence, there is no result right now. But it is true. <laughs> oh, glory to God. And sometimes I walk in the airport, you know, and I say, Father God, I thank, I thank you that the plane is intact. Oh, hallelujah. Because you got to believe truth. You either believe in truth or you believe in a lie. And the opposite of what Jehovah God says becomes a lie. The word is alive. The word is truth is not a feeling. It's not a sensation. Truth is a person. It's a person. It's a person. When you believe, you accept truth to be true. Even when there's no demonstrable evidence. And so Joseph has said, he said, believe in the Lord. When you believe in the Lord, this is what he says. He says you will be established. Then he goes on to say, now believe in his prophet. I come here this morning to declare the word of the Lord to you as a prophet of Jehovah God. The prophet is just a conduit. He's a pipe through which the water flows through. He says, now you believe his prophet and thou shall prosper. That's what it says in the King James. Now, there are two key words that I need you to cash. The word establish and the word prosper. That word prosper, in the original meaning, it means to be trusted forward. T-H-R-O-U-S-T-E-D. Trusted forward. That's what it means. It means when I believe in the Lord, I get established to be established means to be firm, to be strengthened, to be undergird. My foundation becomes healthy. You cannot move if your foundation isn't strong. So 
When you believe in the Lord, your foundation gets healthy. He said, now you believe his prophet and you will be trusted forward. That word is advancement. That word is success. That word is victory. It is a word that encompasses everything Christ accomplished on the cross. And I said this to you by the excellency of the anointing of Jehovah God. That you have come into the season of establishment and trusting forward. That's the decade that you are in now. That's the season that you are in now. Now I want to teach you the word of the Lord now. Now I want to declare to you the mind of God. You have come into the season of establishment and trusting forward. There is nothing that have been redundant. Things that have never moved, they will begin to move in this season. Because you have come into the season. Now, I need you to understand, seasons are pockets of time. Pockets of time that the Holy Spirit brings in, into your life to accomplish an agenda. So every time the Spirit of God is about to do something for you, for a church, your marriage, your relationship, whatever it is, the first thing God has to do is to do what? Is to bring a season in. You can never have snow in summer. If you want snow, you could pray for all you want of snow. It won't show up. The first thing God has to do to bring snow in is to introduce what? A winter season. A season that is meant for what you expect to happen. So whenever the Spirit of God is about to do something in our lives, the first thing is to bring a new season into your life. You now have the responsibility to design, design the season that this is the season. Okay, this is the season. This is the pocket of time. Hey guys, get ready. We are in the season. It's almost like Christmas season. When a Christmas season comes, you don't start putting Christmas light and all those decorations, you know, in the month of March or April or May, except you love that. But when the season comes and you come to New York City, even if you don't know something good is about to happen, you can tell the decoration goes up. This goes up. People dress different. It announces to you that a new season or the Christmas season has arrived. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that. Even if you don't know that Christmas <laughs> is in December... And you see all of these, you could tell. Yeah, I think that Christmas mm, feeling, mm, it's in the air. Now, if you can understand that, then you can understand the dynamics in the spirit. That every time God is about to do something, He brings a season. You have to, mm, the season of establishment. Oh, the season of trusting forward has arrived. So you start announcing it. So you start preparing yourself. You become sensitive. Your level of expectation gets heightened. 
when a season comes, number two, when a season comes into your life, there are three ingredients, three things that accompanies every season. Three things. If they do not accompany it, you cannot see the result. You can never see a result if these three things don't accompany the season. Number one is the purpose for the season. Every season has a purpose, just as a physical season. Every season comes with a purpose. The purpose of a thing is the reason for that thing. That's the purpose. There's a purpose. There's a reason why God is bringing the season in. There's a reason. So every time a season comes into my life, into your life, there is always, number one, the purpose. So your responsibility is, what is the purpose? Why are we in this season? What is it in the mind of God that the Spirit of God intends to accomplish? The purpose, the purpose, the purpose, the purpose, the purpose, the purpose, the purpose. Are you listening to me this morning? A new day has arrived. That which God speaks to the whole, he speaks to you individually. He speaks to every single areas of your life. It's like a tree that have different branches. And every branches represent every aspect of your life. Number two, there is the purpose. The second is the method and the strategy for the season. The method and the strategy for the season. Now, the best way I can explain this to you is in John chapter 5. John 5, you look at from verse 1 to probably verse 5 or verse 4, if you could put it on the screen. You have all of these three ingredients there. There is the purpose for this. Later on, there was a Jewish feast. You know, da 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 da, da. Go to verse 2, please. Now in Jerusalem, near the pool, uh, sheep gate, there is a pool. Uh, which is called in Hebrew, go to the next one, verse 3. In this, uh, da, 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 lay, blah, 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 go to the next one. Okay? Now, for an angel of the Lord went down into the pool at appointed seasons, stirred up the water, the first one to go in after the water was stirred up, was healed of his disease. I mean, if you can tell the purpose of why the season comes there. To bring healing. The purpose of the, that appointed season that we are reading right there is to make sure anyone that is sick, that is around that vicinity, get healed. But what's the method? Right there, the method is the first one that jumps in, get a. There is a method and a strategy for the purpose to become a reality. You don't sit there when the water gets stirred because you've been born again for 20 years. You can speak in tongues. Well, I worship God. I pray a lot. No, the method is when that water gets stirred, you got to get up from your rear end. You jump in. For you to be healed. If you don't jump in, you could be the best Christian and love the Lord and nothing happens. Because seasons comes with purpose and it comes with methods and strategy. The third 
is the most powerful. It comes with a special anointing. Every season is accompanied with an anointing. Let me tell you, people of God, this is the cool one. Because there is nothing, nothing can ever be accomplished without the anointing. You can know the purpose, you can understand the method, but nothing can take place. Don't you know that that stirring of the water is because the angel comes in? Don't you know the stirring is because the power of God gets into the water? Without the power of God in that pool, in that water, the water is like every other water. The water is ordinary. But when power touches that water, (laughs) oh, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm really. When power touches it, Something happens. I mean, when power comes to this building, something happens. When you've met a person, a thing that has been infused by the power of God or the anointing of God, something happens. It is supernatural. So what do we mean by the anointing? Three things. Three things. Number one, the anointing is the supernatural power of God. The supernatural power of God. <laughs> it is the supernatural power of God in the life of the believer to accomplish the purpose of God. The supernatural power of God in the life of the believer to accomplish the purpose of God. You can't see it. You can't feel it. <laughs> it's not a goosebump. You know, you, you could come up with all the stories about what the anointing is. But the anointing is different. Well, I'm an, you know, we come up with uh, everything to say that's the anointing. It's just the effect of the anointing. The result of the anointing makes you shake. But your shaking is not the anointing. The result of the anointing makes you feel a goosebump. But the goosebump is not the anointing. <laughs> we come up with every story about the anointing you can't see. It is supernatural. It is supernatural. You could talk calm. You could scream. You could do whatever. But when it comes in, it does what only heaven can do. It does something supernatural. The super of God comes on the natural. And the natural gets transformed. That's what the Bible says in Isaiah. It is the anointing. It lifts the body. And then it breaks the yoke. There is never a yoke that could withstand the strength of the anointing. Number two. The anointing is the divine enablement. It is the divine enablement of God in the life of the believer to birth heaven's desire. It is the divine enablement. You know, have you ever heard the word an enabler? That you are an enabler. That's what the anointing does. It comes to enable you so that you can birth heaven's desire. There's a desire in the heart of God that needs to be birthed. And God said, okay, I want it to come on earth. Who do I find? He goes to you and he enables you to release it on earth. Number three, the anointing is the grace of God. 
It is the grace of God. I told you I could stand here 10 hours and preach to you. You can't do that naturally on your own strength. It is the grace of God. It is the grace of God in us that makes it possible. It makes it possible to birth God's purpose. The greatest definition of the anointing that you can ever hear in your life is what I'm about to give you. The anointing is the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love my friend. The anointing is the person of the Holy Spirit that is manifested in an invisible form. It is the person of the Holy Spirit that is manifested in an invisible form to accomplish the assignment of God. You don't see it. You don't feel it. And sometimes you don't even think you are anointed. It is invisible. But it is the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have a book there, you know, on the, on the power of the Holy Spirit, the best-selling books that we saw. If you don't have it, it's a tick book. You go on the 20%. You got to learn about the person of the Holy Spirit. You got to learn about him. It's not, a, it's not a thing. It's not a feeling. It's not a sensation. He's a person. We talk less about this person. And we emphasize God and Jesus in our churches every Sunday. Jesus isn't here. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the word, of the Father. The person that is here is the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, when you come to know him and talk about, the more you talk about him in your services, the more miracles happen and breakthrough happen and changes happen. It's amazing. I walk into churches in America and outside of the country and they talk less about the person of the Holy Spirit. I say, what's wrong? What's wrong? That's why the church is dry. That's why you defeated that's why you're bored. That's why there is in passion. Because the oil, a car that is not properly greased, eventually becomes stuck. If you don't put lotion on you, eventually, guess what happens? You get dry and your skin crack. But oh, when the anointing is present and you talk about him, mighty Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come in and you praise him and you elevate him and you lift him up. You sing him in your songs. You talk about him in your preaching. You depend on him. Boom. He shows up. It's good this morning because I could feel him. He shows up. And sometimes when he shows up, I'm in an airport, on the plane I start crying. Pastor, oh, I said, oh, I love you, 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 I love you. Because when it comes, it's like when you boil water and the water is cold. And when the water begins to boil, and the more it boils, it starts start rising. Because it has a purpose. It's not to make you feel good. It's to arrest every yoke, lift every body. You know, when people come to church, I don't know if you realize, they come with problems. You came here today with some issues, whether you know it or not. Something bothering you. You need an answer. You need to deal with something. 
and the job of the preacher that is under the mighty strength of the Holy Spirit is to talk about the word of God, which is God himself. And when you talk about him, it promotes the anointing. You hear something different, and then you hear something different, and the one behind hears something different. The one there hears something. Everybody is hearing something different based on their problem and based on their situation. And the Spirit of God in one moment is resolving problems. Fall in love with him. Fall in love with him. When you fall in love with him, you come to that place of revelation. And every time I said, mighty, mighty one, Holy Spirit, I just need to hear from you now. You got to talk to me. I want you to go to the heart of the Father. I want you to pull out to me what the Father needed me to hear. To know concerning this problem. Unless the Lord builds the house. You could use your strength, your mind, your intelligence, and all of that. The Bible says, all who builds, they build in vain. You can have a good time sitting here in the world, but that does not mean the world changes you. But when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit accompanies his word, you can't resist it. Just like this morning. You could feel him in your heart. You could sense him. It is as if someone stands in front of you and they are directly talking to you and not talking to anybody else in the building. It's just you. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He wakes you up. <laughs> you have not been this way before. You've not been here before. That's why it's a new decade. You have to learn him. Fall in love with him. Forget everything that you have learned. Become a baby again. And let him train you in the life of the spirit. In the life of the spirit. Let him retrain you again. So that you can function. Are you listening to me? You got to get these materials. You got to. For three years. I began to just teach about him. The spirit of the Lord quickened me. Almost like a rebuke. When last did you talk about me? Oh, when last did you talk about me? You asked me for miracles. You asked me for breakthrough. You want to see changes take place. But when last did you talk about me and teach about me and mention about how significant I am? Do you know that it was the mighty Holy Spirit that was responsible to create? His job is to create. Is to create. And even Jesus says, why are you sad? I'm leaving. But why are you freaking out that I'm leaving? You ought to be glad. You ought to be so excited that I'm leaving. But don't leave, don't leave. Because if I don't leave, he cannot come. 
Now I can only be in one place at any given moment. But now <laughs> God can be in every place at the same time in the person of the Holy Spirit. On the plane, he's with you. In the bathroom, he's with you. He's with someone in Alabama right now. He's with someone in Africa right now. He's in Russia right now. <laughs> the devil cannot be in every place. The devil is probably in Iraq, sitting down there in Iraq, and then sending his spirit to nations. Only God is in every place. At every moment. And anywhere he is promoted. Everybody say with me, promoted. Come on. Everywhere he's promoted. When you promote the anointing, you promote the Lord. He says when he's lifted, he draws man to himself. How can a blind eye see when nobody touches them? How can a limb begins to walk? When all you do is just speak it. You know, I was in, a, I, I, I was in Singapore. And uh, the last night, the Lord says, I want to release miracles and healing in his service. You know, it was a massive it's a, you know, Chinese congregation, English Chinese. You know, really brilliant group of people. So the last night I began to just teach and preach just as I'm doing now. And then after I finished, I said, now I'm going to pray for you because God wants to heal. And this was really amazing because there was a couple there, a husband and wife. And the husband had an accident a long time ago and had a glass eye. I don't know how to do it, but they put a glass eye in, the, in one of the eyes. Can't see. And all of a sudden... Prayer was being prayed, and the wife turned around and said, Honey, look at your eyes, look at your eyes. The eyes began to spin. And that glass fell, and the real eyes came. Now you ask yourself, how can that happen? I can't describe it. I can't explain it. I can't tell you how it happened. But I could tell you that person of the mighty Holy Spirit was right there. And his job you got to give him an assignment. Don't make the Holy Spirit to become lazy in your life. His job is to create. So here he went, look at this man whose eyes was blind, and he says, I'm going to create a new one for you. And he created a new one. That's what Jesus did. He prayed for the sick. The Holy Spirit shows up. He creates it. Every one of them have the assignment. God got his, Jesus got his, and the Holy Spirit got it. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit is with us. I'm real glad. Because you got to know, as much as you want God to be in your life, the Holy Spirit makes that possible. If you want more, he will be more. If you want less, it will be less. It just depends on how much you want you say, feel me? Oh, make something different. Do something new in my heart. It doesn't happen except the working of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in and walk fresh. Okay, now let me give you these eight anointings. These eight anointings is what you will begin to experience. And I charge you by the Spirit of God that you, you pray them. 
The first anointing of this season is the anointing of realignment and readjustment. The anointing of realignment and readjustment. God never does anything unless it is backed by the force of the anointing. I need you to understand that. The anointing of realignment and readjustment. Realignment simply means the process of changing or restoring something to its former position or to a new position. So the purpose of this anointing is to change things corporately or individually in your life to its original position or to a new position. This anointing is available. It is the anointing of the seasons that you are in. The things that have not been changed will begin to change. You can stop it. And the interesting thing is, the more you become sensitive to it, the more you can see it. That the hand of the Lord through the power of the anointing of realignment, things will become realigned again to a new auto is original. Your health, your relationship, your finances, the church, the ministry, the vision, whatever aspect of your life, the anointing comes in and begins to realign it. Do you know over a prolonged period of time you can work with God and things can be out of alignment? It's like driving a car. And you notice your car. And then you take the car to the mechanic and the mechanic says you need an alignment. If you want to enjoy the flow of that which is happening, you need an alignment. And oh, praise the Lord, there is an anointing to realign me back. And to realign you back. And to realign visions and dreams and everything back. Whether the missions, whatever your hands have touched. There is an anointing to realign it and readjust it back to its original purpose. Number two. The second anointing is the anointing of resurrection. The anointing of resurrection. The anointing of resurrection is designed to make dead things to come alive. Dead things to come alive. There are things that are dead. Maybe the marriage is dead, the relationship, your business, uh, your health. Something that is dead is something that isn't producing, something that is not alive. So this anointing is designed to come into an aspect of your life, an aspect of the ministry, an aspect of the, oh God, let it fall upon this house. That anything that is supposed to be vibrant, that is supposed to be alive, that is supposed to be functioning at its optimum level begins to function. The anointing comes. I want you to say amen. amen. I want you to receive it. Say amen. amen. I receive it. Say this with me. I receive it. Amen. See, you have to understand God never does anything without the anointing. I said to you, 
You know, you get the purpose, you get the method, and what do you get? You get the anointing that enforces everything that God intends to do. If not so, it will be like every other year. You know, m- m- most people, I don't know, they just, uh, church is like a religious place of gathering. You know, just come. All right, see you next Sunday. That's not the way it's designed. It is an encounter with God. When you come in, there should be a level of expectation. I'm going to have an encounter today. That means a part of me is going to be shed off. Something in me is going to be taken care of. You have to anticipate coming to church. You have to look forward coming to church. And when you are not there, can I get the CD? Because God said something that I got to hear when I wasn't here. People of God, I'm saying this to you. I love you. I'm part of this house. Wake up. Come up in God. There is an anointing. Everything that is dead in your life, you have a right to demand life. Start calling live. Can these dead bones live again? The answer is what? Yes. Yes. Can these dead areas come alive again? What's the answer? Yes. Can a bad marriage, a horrible marriage, what the enemy have touched, can it ever come alive again? Yes. Can a bad business, the enemy wiped out your business, stole your finances, and got you in a situation, I dare you to say it, can your business live again? The answer is what? Yes. You've got to believe it. Because here go the anointing. Can you just stand? Let me use you as an illustration. And then let me use you as an illustration. I want you to picture this. If you could stand in front of one another. Watch now. She is the purpose. Just turn around this side. And you turn around. Three things. She is the purpose for this season. And then she comes in to be the method. And the strategy for the season. And I become the anointing. See, two of them, nothing can happen. But this invisible force is the one that does what? Pushes it. And then it pushes it. And then she pushes her. And then pushes it without me. The purpose and the method is not going to work. They're not going to work. So when we talk about alignment and readjustment, when we talk about resurrection, it means nothing if that third person is not not behind making the dead things to come alive. Realigning and readjusting things. And I'm telling you, we are in that pocket of time. And you have the right to demand, come alive. Everything, come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Because the oil, the anointing, the grease to make it happen has been released. Number three, the third anointing is the anointing of fruitfulness. The anointing of fruitfulness. The anointing of fruitfulness is the anointing that is designed to produce 
results. Results. It is not just fruits on your tree that you've seen. These are going to be hanging fruits. You know what an hanging fruit is? <laughs> it means that the fruit is so ripe and it's, it's just hanging down the branch that it is within your proximity. You can. There is an oil that is made available on you, in you, in the church to produce fruits. Fruits that abide. Not the kind that will tease you. Not the kind that will give an impression that's God and oh my God, every time you expect your heart gets broken. Every time you see a result and you think it's going to become something great, your heart gets broken. That's not the fruit. The fruit that abide. The fruit that are ripe. He brings it in. You know, and whenever the Lord speaks to me like this, what I do is I just pray it constantly. Father, well, I thank you this morning. I thank you for today that the anointing of alignment, readjustment reside in everything that concerning me. I'm walking in this anointing of fruitfulness. I walk in the anointing of resurrection. You start declaring this over yourself. You are the greatest prophet of your destiny. You are the greatest prophet of your destiny. Your words will build you up, will transform you, will change you, or your words will destroy you. Number four, the anointing of ease. E-A-S-E. The anointing of ease. Now, it is a season of ease. Ease not in the sense of comfort. That's not what the Holy Spirit is saying. But ease in the sense of doing something with your dependability on God. It is not ease with the sense of comfort. I don't have to do anything. It is ease with that sense of doing something, but your dependence is totally on God himself. You have come into that season where you don't have to work out things. You have to just depend on God for the spirit of God to work out things. It's very important because some of us by nature or by certain personality we are addicted to working out things. Especially if you are a choleric you are addicted to working at it. You got to, you, you, mm, mm, mm. You, 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 you just have to work out things for things to work. You have to learn how to be at ease and cooperate now with the Holy Spirit and depend on him. Let me give you a scripture that is really cool. Look at Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21, verse 31. Proverbs 21, verse 31. Really, a really favorite verse of mine. Don't forget this verse. 
the horse is prepared for the day of battle. That's all the horse is prepared for. But deliverance and victory belong to who? To the Lord. The horse doesn't fight in the battle, but is just prepared for it. So you jump on the horse and you just ride the horse. That's all you do. But deliverance and victory, it belongs to God. The implication is this. The battles and the struggles that you encounter, you don't have to manipulate and control it and freak out and try to resolve it. All you have to do is to depend on the Spirit of God for the appropriate strategy. Are you listening to me? Is, is, you have to retrain your mind. And to some, it's going to be hard to retrain yourself to become more dependent on God than you controlling the circumstance. Okay? Now, notice another scripture. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 20 and look at verse 15, please. Second Chronicles 20. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. Okay? He said, listen carefully, all you people of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, the Lord says this to you. Be not afraid or dismay at this great multitude. What next? For the battle is not yours, but God. Now, you have to understand the concept of the battle is not yours. For you to be able to experience this is key you must understand three things. Number one, you must understand the power of trust. For you to be able to stand and let God fight your battle, you have to understand the power of trust. The Bible says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own under. Standing. If you don't understand the power of trust, you will always fight your battle with God standing on the side. Number two, you have to understand the power of detachment. Detachment. In the book of Peter, the scripture says, come Peter, the scripture says, in the Amplified Translation, cast your care. Cast your care upon the Lord once and for all, for he cared for you. That word, once and for all, when you throw your cares and your worry to God, you cannot pick it back up and attach it to yourself. If you don't understand the power of detachment, the enemy will always want you to put your hand in every situation and the battle will not be God's battle. 
it will continually be your battle. That's where a lot of people freak out because they don't know how to detach from the cares, the worriness, the anxiety. You remain attached to it and so you want to work it out. You want to resolve it yourself. And God said, I can't help you here because the battle is not yours. You are not designed to take care of it. I'm designed to take care of it. So you cast your care upon me once. Once and for all. That's what the Bible says. You throw it at the feet of Christ. And every time the enemy tempts you to pick it up again in your mind, you let the enemy know, no, I have cast my care upon the Lord and I trust that God is taking care of it. Number three, you have to deal with the spirit of unbelief. You have to deal with the spirit of unbelief. Now, unbelief is different from doubt. Unbelief is very dangerous. Doubt, by definition, is the absence of knowledge that produces the absence of performance. That's what doubt is. The absence of knowledge that produces the absence of performance. What does that mean? A person that doubts, doubt because they really don't have proper knowledge in that area. If they do, they will not doubt. But unbelief is different. Unbelief is the presence of knowledge, but the absence of performance. I know what's right. I know what God's word says. I know what I'm supposed to, to do, but I'm not going to do it. And when you study the book of Hebrews, I think Hebrews chapter 3, the Bible says it was their unbelief that shut them out. Nothing else. The reason the children of Israel could not walk into the promises of God and see the result of God, the Bible says their unbelief shut them out. Unbelief closed the door on them. That's why unbelief is very dangerous. I know what is right. I believe what is right. But mm, I'm not doing it. And the Bible says, when you operate like that, you shut God out. You now begin to do your own battle for yourself. And eventually you get frustrated, you get mad, upset, and then you come to a conclusion to say God is not working. Number five, three more and we close. The fifth anointing is the anointing of upward mobility. Upward mobility. Now, this is critical. The anointing of upward mobility. The anointing of upward mobility is the anointing of movement. Not motion, movement. It's a progressive movement. The church ought to be moving. Your businesses ought to be moving. Your relationship ought to be moving. From one phase to another phase. Paul made an incredible statement in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11 to verse 16. This statement was not made when Paul was just a young Christian. The statement was made at the height of Paul's career. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 11. If you could put it on the screen, please. Philippians chapter 3, from verse 11. He made this statement at the height of his career. 
If Paul, even before the statement was made, if Paul had quit ministry, that would have been enough. Philippians chapter 3, from verse 1 to verse, uh, verse uh, 11. If I can read it from verse 11. That's verse 11, right? Okay. So that I may attain to the resurrection that will raise me from the dead. You go to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, this goal of being Christ-like, or I've already been made perfect, but I actively press on. Remember, upward mobility. Press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You were captured for a reason. You were not just arrested for no reason. In the world, when you get arrested, it's because you commit a crime. In the kingdom of God, when God arrests you, it's because there is a clear purpose upon your life. And he was arrested. And Paul says now, I want to accomplish that for which I was apprehended or I was arrested. Okay, go to the next verse, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and what? Reaching forward, upward mobility, reaching forward for what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press. The implication of the word press, it comes with strain. Comes with pain. If you get on, you get in the gym and you praise, you don't sing hallelujah, praise the Lord. Mm, mm, mm. But the result becomes productive. I press on towards the goal to win the heavenly prize of the what? Upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. All of us who are matured, pursuing spiritual perfection, should have this attitude. And if in any respect you have a different attitude, that too God will make clear to you there is an anointing for movement. If you are stagnated, if the church is stagnated, if the business is stagnated, if something is stagnated, it is not the will of God. There is an anointing for upward movement. Now, the sixth one is very important. It is the anointing for warfare. The anointing of warfare. Warfare, by definition, is the engagement. When we talk about warfare, is the engagement in battle. The engagement in battle with spiritual forces. The engagement in battles with spiritual forces to establish the purpose of God. So the enemy is going to do everything possible to fight you and to make sure that that which God intend never become a reality. 
And the blessing of God is that because we have come into this anointing, there is a tangible anointing of warfare that enables you and I to be victorious in every, every warfare that we encounter. You're going to. I said this to you earlier, that warfare is you warring against the enemy. Attack is what the enemy does to you. But now, there are process of warfare, the kind of warfare that produces result. So I need you to catch that, okay? There are four progressions of it. Number one, you have to learn to locate, I said this earlier, God's position concerning your battle. If you are going to be effective in warfare, you have to learn to locate God's position concerning your fight, your battle. What does God's word say about it? That's key. Apostle John, why is that important? Well, it's important when you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says, this is the confidence that I have. Or this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything that is according to his will, according to his will, that he hears us. So if I know God's position concerning my fight, and I war according to it, it gives me confidence that God is hearing me and that I'm going to receive the right result. Number two, you have to understand your enemy, who your enemy is. Number one, you know God's location. Number two, you understand who your enemy is. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not your boss. It's not a pastor. It's not your friend. It's not your relative. Those are not your enemies, not your wife, it's not your husband. The Bible tells us that we wrestled not against who? Flesh and blood. Implying it's not against the president, it's not against your boss, it's not against the pastor, it's not against your family. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against who? Against principalities, evil ones. And I really can't understand how we pick fight with people without realizing these are not our enemy. And if you don't understand this principle of warfare, you will pick fight with the wrong people. It is the principle that governs warfare. I know God's position concerning it. I realize who my enemy is. So when my wife reacts one way, I know it's not my wife. I know it's the enemy. When my boss reacts one way, I know it's not, you know, not my boss. It's the enemy. I always am able to see the enemy in operation. Instead of me attacking the person itself, I realize it's the enemy. And I attack the enemy and bind this power. If you don't understand this, you will pick the wrong fight with the wrong people. The third, not only do you need to know who you're fighting, you must recognize the ascribed weapon that you need to use. You can't use a knife when you're supposed to be using an Uzi. 
You can't use a gun when you're supposed to be using a knife. You know, this ought to be taught more in the church because most Christians don't even know the weapons to use in warfare. Can you imagine the greatest military in the world, the United States, not knowing the right met weapon to use? And most Christians don't know. We use the wrong method, the wrong weapon for something else. There is the weapon of the blood of Jesus. That when you get to a situation that you need to use the blood of Jesus, you use the blood of Jesus. There is the weapon of my testimony. As I create, as I tell you what God has done in my life, faith comes alive in you and your confidence rises up to fight the devil. There is the weapon of the angels of God. Angels are not just assigned to you to sit down, rusted, without any form of activity. You have to learn how to use your angels. You have to learn how to command angels to work on your behalf. The Bible says they only respond to the voice of God, which implies if I put God's word in my mouth, if a donkey put God's word in his mouth, if a baby put God's word in his mouth and they repeat it, the angels will respond. Because they only respond to the voice of God. So it doesn't matter who is saying it. As long as it is the word of God, they go into motion. They work on your behalf. When you activate the angels, they begin to work. The Bible says, be careful how you relate to people because you may be relating to an, what? an angel. We always think angels show up with these big flapping wings. Brew, 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 brew. If an angel jumps in here with the flapping wings, all of us will go like this. You will get slain. I mean, fear will come on you. An angel can come and sit in your service just like you. There are Chinese angels, Spanish angels, African-American angels, white angels. They show up and they sit with you in your service. They have an assignment. i never forget my encounter. I've had one, two, three, I think four encounters with him. I, well, I was in ministry, was kind of discouraged. There were, you know, certain incidents. I walked into the park. I was the only one sitting in the chair. I turned around and this guy came, was sitting, just sitting, a little not close to me. But I could feel this shield. I know it was unusual because I realized nobody here. And he walked straight to me. And he just carried a conversation. He said, oh, why are you worried? You don't need to be worried. You know, it is taken care of. And I'm there like a shock, okay? What are you guys talking about? He's taken care of. You don't need to worry about anything. And I turn around, it's like boom, boom, boom. What's going They could be with you in the airport. They could fly on a plane with you. I mean, anywhere. And when you wake up in the morning, Father, thank, I thank you for the angels. They're working on my behalf. The moment that you are tired and you are fighting, my first encounter, major encounter, was when I had an encounter with Michael, Michael, Michael. And I was in a terrible warfare. 
a terrible battle. And my wife was sleeping by me while I was having this warfare. And I was, I mean, it's like a barrage of the enemy came. And I was fighting. And I, get, I got exhausted. And I heard clearly from heaven, why are you fighting alone when you can't call on the warring angel? When I heard that, I screamed, Michael! It's almost like a sci-fi movie. The best way I could describe it, you know, is it Captain Kirk? You know, when they come from space? It's like, it's like, it's like a barrage, like one after the other behind. And Michael was in front, and it's like just landed. I was looking at him. He didn't say one word to me. He just said, that means move aside. You move aside. And they start fighting. I began to laugh. I remember, I said, honey, we won. I said, we won. She said, what did we win? I said, the Lord just took care of our battles. Those are weapons that is made available to you. You got to utilize your angels. It's not so you got angels just walking behind you. What do I do for you? Uh, God, I don't know. They never give me any responsibility. I don't know. You know. Okay? Just they just follow you. Not doing anything. And their job is to make sure that the will of the Father in your life is fulfilled. They work for you. They bring messages. They deliver you. Just the will of God. To express the will of God in your life. And then, the fourth. You must understand how to, proper, how to properly war. Not only do you recognize your weapon. Not only do you recognize who you're fighting. You have to recognize how to properly war. One of the most sophisticated scripture that we overlook in the Bible that teaches you how to do proper warfare is James chapter 4, verse 7. James 4, 7, there is a word there that is a warfare word that we don't pay mind to. You see that word there? So submit to the authority of God. See the next word there? Resist. That is a warfare word. But if you ask most Christians about James 4, 7, they will tell you this way. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But that's not true. That scripture says you must first submit. Submission is a weapon. Submission is one of the most powerful weapons. How can you use the oil of someone to defeat your adversary when you have not come under submission to him. When you come under submission to God, to God, and, and, and this, is, this is what I really don't understand. Look, I cannot understand how people will talk negatively about authority, especially about the president. I, 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 it, it's just, we've had situations 
when we pray for our president, people get mad. People get mad. Please hear me. I'm not being political to you. I'm just trying to do I, I can't phantom it. Something must be wrong in the brain. Something must be wrong somewhere. Either you don't open your Bible, you, you've not read your Bible. It is not about the man. It is about the position. God could put a donkey in a position and God expects you to do what? To pray for them. Submit to God. When you submit to God, you can submit to any authority. The struggle is a man that struggles with submitting to any authority in their life is because they first of all struggle with what? Submission to God. If you submit to God, submitting to the authority in your own becomes easy. To the authority on the job becomes easy. The authority of a nation, it becomes easy. Because I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because I want to please God. And because of my love for God, my passion for God to please him, I'm submitting to God. And the result of submitting to God is my submission to you, the anointing gets released upon me. Then I could resist the devil, and the devil will flee. The word resist means to reprimand. Number two, it means to address sharply. When you say, I rebuke you, devil, you are addressing the devil or the enemy sharply. You reprimand the enemy. You address him sharply. That's what it means to resist. You resist the devil with your submission intact because you are using the oil of God. And the Bible says, what will happen? He must flee from you because he realizes it's not really you. It's really him. You become clothed in him and then you use him. The last, which is the seventh, is the anointing for maturing. The anointing for maturing. It is a season of maturing in God and in our spiritual lives. You have come to the season of maturing in God and in our spiritual lives. The demand for maturity will be placed on you like never before in this season. And the Spirit of God will demand that you grow, you grow beyond your comfort. Understand these seven anointings. The seven anointings have been made available to you. You could make a choice. You know, when God, when the Spirit of God makes things available to us, we could try to blame, you know, the devil or we want to blame. God say, hey, I made this available. There is the anointing for realignment and what? Readjustment. And then what's the second anointing I gave to you? Come on, come on. The anointing of resurrection. That means everything that is dead, there is an anointing to bring it back to life. Number three was the third one. The anointing of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. The areas of your life that have not been fruitful, there is a force. There is a supernatural power 
to bring fruitfulness in that area. The fourth anointing, the anointing of his. You have to rejoice in that. You've been mighting things with your strength and might over a prolonged period of time. And the Lord Spirit of the Lord said, uh-uh. You depend on me. Let me walk this. To some of us, that may take time because you are used to putting your hands on several things. And, for so, and, and so for you to take your hands off, it's going to take time. But you've got to begin to practice it so that the Spirit of God shows up on your behalf and you can see the difference. What's the next one? The what? One more time. Upward mobility. The anointing of progression. It's a movement. It is a cause to be stagnated. If you have a child that you give birth to, and all of a sudden, they are 18 years old, but they are still small like this, there's a problem. That's the same thing when we serve God. Upward mobility. Business up, relationship up, church up, this up, that up, that up, that up, nothing going down. You can't accomplish this on your own. There is a force behind you to push you forward and to make it possible. What's the next one? Warfare. Yes, the anointing of warfare. Always realize that genuine warfare begins with you locating God's position concerning it. And then you understand, number two, who your real enemy is. Then you understand, number three, the proper weapon that you need to use in it. And then, number four, you understand how to really war. What's the next one? The anointing of maturing. It is the greatest gift we can give to God. And the anointing of maturing really speaks of our ability to abide in him. The abiding power of God in him is what really causes us to begin to mature and to grow. It's really a time to fall in love with God like never before. I am so privileged to be here in this month. In this month. To begin to drive this into the atmosphere. And what I've shared this morning will linger in this house. And those that will be here tomorrow, those that will join this church, those that will stumble into this building will be touched by the rain of what has been delivered here. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Father, this morning, I pronounce these seven anointings. These seven supernatural power. These seven enabling power. These seven Grease the oil of God. Upon this vision, upon this vision, upon this house, upon the leadership of this house, upon every member, every family, every business, upon the mission, everything this house will touch. I prophesy this anointing to come upon it. Father, I stand against every spirit that is designed to prevent the manifestation of this anointing, disappointment, or pain, every spirit that is designed to create failure, I arrest you in the spirit realm and in the physical realm. 
I bind your power. I break and I destroy your hold, your grip, your control. And I lose the people of God. And I lose this vision. I lose the atmosphere to a new place, to a new thing, to a new visitation. Father, I decree that every seed, let it begin to grow. I pray for a new excitement. I pray for a new breakthrough. I pray for new divine visitations. Father, I prophesy something new, something great, something different to take place in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Lift up your hands now and just thank him. That's all. You just thank him. Father, we thank you. Thank you for being gracious to us. Mighty Holy Spirit, we thank you for moving on our behalf and for sticking every truth in our heart and then keeping the truth so that we can apply it in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you've been fabulous. Thank you for just permitting me to speak the word of the Lord in your spirit. To speak it in your spirit. And make sure you carry this with you. Very important. I, my heart rejoice so much for being able to dump this in your spirit. Because I feel a sense of accomplishment. I feel like my job has been done. And you may not even understand what I'm saying. But when I feel that sense of satisfaction pleasing the Holy Spirit, it gladdens my heart. It says.